Greetings, friends and brethren. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. You know, we are getting close to the end of 1 Corinthians. You're probably clapping your hands and saying, well, it's about time. But really, this has been an important book to teach about. So many issues in 1 Corinthians that cause a lot of issues in the church today. But I hope that I've been able to clear up some of those uh, questions in your mind that have been lingering there probably for some time. We are going to start with chapter 15 today. I'm in the New King James Version only. As I mentioned before, I skipped uh, chapter 13 and most of 14 just because I have taught on that before. And who knows, I may be going back there at some point, but I didn't want to just be repetitive. So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. So, Father, we thank you that you have graciously sent the Holy Spirit to write these wonderful epistles to us through the Apostle Paul. Father, thank you for the wisdom that you have provided Paul and the teaching to give us even today, 2,000 years after the writing of these scriptures, Lord, they are still meaningful and helpful to us today and are certainly a guide, a guidebook for how we behave and uh, treat others and just everything that has to do with the kingdom and has to do with the church. So we thank you, Lord, that you saw fit, that you know the beginning from the end and you knew that we would need these scriptures even now in this time frame that we live in in the United States in 2019. So we bless you and thank you, Father, and thank you, Lord, for all the listeners today. We just bless them and pray that, Lord, this teaching uh, will really imprint their heart, that, that Father, they will be able to gather uh, a lot of good seeds from this teaching. So we just bless them, and Father, we just thank you that you are an incredible teacher as you continue to instruct us and highlight uh, uh, very important points to us. We just bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, let's start with verse 1, chapter 15. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So I'm just going to stop there and 
we'll just talk about these first nine, uh, first eight scriptures. Uh, Paul is just reiterating to them that, you know, since he's been ministering to this church in Corinth, he has been declaring the gospel. He has preached the good news to them. And he's saying, you know, this is this gospel. You received it from me and you're standing in it. And also you got saved by it. That is, if you hold fast the word, which he says he preached to them unless you believed in vain. So, you know, obviously we know that sometimes people say that they're, they want to be born again and, you know, they recite the prayer or they pray a prayer with an individual and they have no more received the Lord than a man in the moon. They have just repeated some words. Their heart really wasn't prepared to receive the Lord. They really had no real desire to. And for whatever reason, you know, they do pray uh, the prayer faith. So he's just saying, I preach this to you. And if you hold fast to it, in other, in other words, if you endure, if you cling to the things of the Lord and of the kingdom, then you're going to be saved. Now, remember that salvation is an ongoing process. Yes, you do get born again, but there is a sanctification process. And it's actually, Paul says, working out your salvation daily because it's it, it, not that uh, not that you have to repeat being saved over and over and over. It's meaning that once you've been saved, you want to hold fast to that um, experience in Christ so that you don't fall back into your old ways, into your old sins, into your old patterns and behaviors. And so he's saying, you're going to be saved unless you've believed in vain. In other words, you just kind of did it for whatever reason, not the right reasons, apparently. And he says, I delivered you to you, first of all, that which I received. In other words, he's telling them of when he had his encounter with Christ. He had that encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He spent 14 years in Arabia and the Holy Spirit was downloading and downloading to him. And so he, uh, you know, he received all that revelation when he was away alone by himself. So he says, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. He received all of that download from the Lord Jesus Christ. And and what was the what was the main thrust of the download? Well, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And not only did he die, he was buried, and not only was he buried, but he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he's going to give verification of this. And he says he was seen by Cephas. That was Peter, another name for Peter, Cephas. Then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren. So men and women saw him, 500 of them saw him all at once at a gathering. 
And he says, of whom the greater part remained to the present. In other words, most of those people were still alive at the time of the writing of this. But some had fallen asleep. In other words, some had um, died. And then it says, after that, he was seen by James. That was James, his half-brother. And then by all of the apostles. See, by this time, there are more apostles. Because, you know, all the other ones, the original ones, are gone. So, um, well, I went, I went a little too far. Let me just go back. Now, what had happened was Paul had started this Corinthian church, but somewhere along the line, they began to not believe in the resurrection. And, you know, um, that, that was an issue. And so that's why he's saying here, He's re-emphasizing, hey, I delivered this revelation from Christ to you that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And then to verify that, he's telling them, well, he was first seen by Peter, then all 12 apostles, and then 500 people saw him. I think it's important at this point to talk about facts about the resurrection because there was obviously a struggle here with this Corinthian church people in this church who were not believing in that resurrection but we're gonna I'm gonna go a a little farther with the scriptures starting with verse 9 Paul says for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, So we preach, and so you believed. Verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So let's just just, uh, dig into that a little bit because 
uh, this is this is really serious. Now, how did this creep in? This whole thing about there's no resurrection. Christ wasn't resurrected. Um, how did that creep in? We don't know. It does not. Paul does not make that clear to us. We don't know how that heresy got in the church, but there were Corinthians in that church teaching that there was no resurrection. Now, Paul, uh, you know, just so we're clear too, Paul says that he labored more abundantly. He, he, you know, he got a late start, obviously, and he didn't have the discipleship training that the other apostles did, right? I mean, he, he didn't walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and eat with Jesus and, uh, you know, be there when Gen Jesus did all the wonderful miracles. No, his training was all by himself and the Holy Ghost. But Paul traveled further than any of those apostles. He established more churches than any of those apostles, and he wrote more scripture than any of them. But he attributes his success to the grace of God. He's not, you know, he's not puffing himself up. So let's just make sure we get that clear. He's not puffing. He says, it's the grace of God that I was able to do more abundantly than all of them. But then he says, therefore, it doesn't really, it really doesn't matter. He's saying, whether it was me or them, so we preach and you believe. And that's the whole gist. That's the, the point of it. Now, let's get back to this resurrection deal. The people teaching that there was no resurrection, uh, obviously they had to be uh, in opposition to Paul. They had to be opponents of Paul. They had to be uh, rebellious, whatever. And... Um, they may also have been teaching that the resurrection was only spiritual, not physical. Or they even may have been teaching that the resurrection had already happened. Whatever the case, that teaching was contradicting the essential teaching that Christ had been physically raised from the dead and that believers in him would someday also be resurrected. So let's talk about resurrection. I, I want to share first with you the Greek uh, meaning of the word resurrection. Anastasis is is that is the Greek word resurrection, and the scriptures often speak of Christ's resurrection with the phrase that is literally resurrection out from among the dead ones. That's what it literally means. And so um, when scripture speaks of the resurrection in general, commonly the phrase is uh, a resurrection of dead ones. And but Christ's resurrection, when you're talking about Christ's resurrection, it's spoken of, uh, of as a resurrection of dead ones. And that same terminology is used here in 1 Corinthians 15, where the Greek text literally reads for since through a man death came so also through a man came a resurrection of dead persons and that this shows 
that Christ's resurrection included the resurrection of believers to eternal life. See, when he, wrote, when he arose, many arose with him, for they were united with him in his resurrection. Now, let's talk about some facts about the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ was proclaimed eagerly by the early church. Well, why would it be? Well, because many of them saw it. And, you know, if people didn't see Christ when he came back, hey, they were telling all their friends and neighbors about it, and that was spreading all about. So the early church really, really proclaimed the resurrection of Christ. And um, this miracle which it was, was considered an essential part of the gospel message. Now, we know for sure Christ had died, but more importantly, he had been raised. See, it's, it's important to understand the cross is uh, the centerpiece of our faith, right? Because Christ is dying on that cross for the removal of all of our sin. He is justifying the wrath of God. He is making peace for us with God. But he was more than just the suffering Savior. See, Jesus, what you have to get, this is the power of the resurrection. That's why this is so, so important. Jesus is our living Lord. He's alive. So let's say he died, you know, he died on the cross and we say, Yahoo, wasn't that good? Thank you, Jesus. He was buried. But without his resurrection, we would have no living, no living Jesus. He would not be seated at the right hand of the father right now being our intercessor. So, Christ's resurrection was actually prophesied in the Old Testament. Let's just take a quick peek at Psalm 1610. And this is what it says. Now, who wrote Psalm 16? King David. I'm actually going to start with verse 9. He writes, David writes, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh also will rest in hope. For you, capitalized Y, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you, capital Y, allow your Holy One to see corruption. So, David is actually prophesying that Christ is not going to see corruption. See, you will not allow your Holy One. Who's the Holy One? Jesus. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So he's pro that the resurrection is prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures. Now, the risen Christ appears to more than, more than, not just 500 witnesses, but more than 500 witnesses, including Paul. 
We just read that scripture. Okay, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, like some were teaching, then the gospel message is pointless. It's empty. It's dishonest. Jesus Christ would not be alive. He would not be interceding for us. He would not be seated at the right hand of the Father. He would not be. And we, as Christians, would not be able to place our hope in a glorious future with him. I mean, everything would, it would all be phony baloney. So the resurrection is central to the gospel as much as the cross is central to the gospel. They, they really, truly intersect. You have to have the resurrection, not just the death on the cross of Christ, but the resurrection is central to where we are as believers. Because if Christ is not alive, then we have no hope. All right, according to Paul, if Christ is not risen, your, few, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. In other words, why are we even thinking about exercising any faith? It's useless. Our faith is useless if he's not risen because we're still, we're still in our sins. Christ died, redeemed us from sin, from death from hell and the grave. Christ's resurrection, not merely his death on the cross, but the resurrection secured our justification. All right, now, justification, a legal term, securing our righteousness. That's another way of saying securing our righteousness, our justification, just as if we had never sinned. So without the resurrection, there's no justification. There's no righteousness. His resurrection was a sign of God's approval of Christ's sacrifice for our sins. In short, no resurrection equals no forgiveness of sin, period. All right, the resurrection of Christ was designed to reveal what lies ahead for those who put their trust in Jesus. (coughs) Now, Paul called Christ the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. We, We haven't got to that. I haven't read that scripture yet. But this Old Testament image means that Christ serves as both an example and a guarantee of what we can expect. See, because he conquered death we don't, we don't have to fear death because if we believe in the resurrection, then we realize that we really were never going to die. See, we are alive in Christ. We will remain alive in Christ. Only the flesh will die. Our flesh, the, the physical body will die, but we won't die. We're alive in Christ now. We will be alive in Christ then. That doesn't change. So we're not going to die. The old body's going to die. So why would we have to fear death? We don't have to fear death because we are not going to die. We will be with the Lord. So, but let's flip that around. If he hadn't conquered death through the resurrection, well, then we would have to fear death. Because there would be no 
promise of eternal life. You see, without the resurrection, there's no promise of eternal life. We would still be in our sins, and when we physically died, we we would be separated. There would there would have been no plan for us other than to be separated eternally from God. So because Christ now enjoys a glorified body, right? He has a glorified body. We as believers can also expect to inherit a spiritual body after the mortal one wears out. So this mortal body is going to poof. It's going to go when we leave this earth and we're present with the Lord. We're going to have a glorified body too. It's going to be a spiritual glorified body. So one day, one day, our dead physical body will one day be resurrected. See, there will be a day when this physical body will be resurrected. But if Christ had never been resurrected, then our body wouldn't be resurrected. We will once again be both material and immaterial beings, our soul being reunited with our resurrected body. The power behind this marvelous, and yes, it is a mysterious thing for sure, but the power behind this marvelous yet mysterious event is Jesus, the self-declared resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five tells us Jesus is the resurrection and the life. See, because John was fighting this heresy in his time too. And he doesn't just talk about it in the Gospel of John. He talks about it in 1 John a whole, whole lot. Because this crazy heresy had already entered the church then. And then we see in Luke 24, uh, 35, 36, 51, it says our physical body will be altered and changed to prepare us for the life to come. If Jesus is the prototype, which he is, we will still be recognizable. In other words, when we get to heaven, you know, I'll recognize my mother and father. I'll recognize, you know, my I'll recognize people that I knew on earth. I'll rec because that's not changing. Our physical body is not being altered. We'll be recognizable, but our new body will be capable of supernatural activities. We'll have a supernatural body. It'll be so awesome. Now, our resurrection, we see that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Our resurrection will take place when Jesus returns. And that's good news. That's the good news. Well, we're going to have to stop here. We'll pick this up again next week. This is Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. And if you would write to me, you can write at Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. And I sure would appreciate you your financial support of this ministry. Um, right here in Wheeling, West Virginia on WWVA 1170 AM. 
Uh, we come on Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 p.m. Eastern Time. So you can catch us if you miss us at the 8 p.m. time slot, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch us at 11 p.m. as well. So I look forward to being with you next week. Please help support our ministry. With that, shalom, shalom, peace be unto you.